Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Well, I'd also like to welcome our guests this morning. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Pete Privatera. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossway Church. It's an honor to have you. Thank you for coming. Uh, our prayer for this meeting today is that the Lord uses it to grow our faith in Him, that we'll trust Him more. And so that's our prayer for you being here, and that's what we uh, want God to do in us. Now, I have uh, one event for our members to keep in mind, and I believe we sent out an email to you on this, but um, just to communicate well, let me give you another, uh, another notification of this. Uh, a few months ago, we started up a quarterly meeting for our members. It's uh, on a regular… Uh, <laughs> I could have caught it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we start a quarterly meeting for our members. It's on a regular care group night. It takes the place of care group for that week. The purpose of this meeting, we're calling it, um, we're calling it the all-church care group meeting. Uh, someday we'll come up with a, with a really cool name, but for now it's just the all-church care group. So, probably something in Latin that ends with an A. <laughs> or maybe starts with an E. It'll be English, but starts with an E. We'll see. Um, but um, the purpose of the meeting is prayer together, communication, equipping, and hopefully to have a little fun in the process as well. Now, uh, the goal was to have this quarterly. Uh, we got a little twisted around just with our grand opening since this was a, a, a once in the history of our church kind of a thing. And so it got pushed off a little bit. But it's gonna, we're going to have it on December 5th. That's Wednesday, December 5, 7 p.m. here at the building. Um, we don't have child care available and we know that's a challenge. Uh, it's just something we haven't been able to work out yet. Hopefully we can figure something out together in the future for how to make that more effective. Now when you come to the meeting, when you come on Wednesday night, December 5th at 7 p.m., uh, do your best to sit with your care groups. It's an all-church care group meeting. Uh, we'll pray together in care groups. Uh, we may have a little fun in that, uh, in that uh, setting. So uh, try to sit with your care group. And the idea is kind of, uh, the idea is that we're sort of grouped in our care groups, but we're all coming together. And uh, I think it has a, a, a certain dynamic that can be really helpful. So that is Wednesday, December 5th, 7 p.m. here at the building. And uh, please, if at all possible, come on out to that meeting. Uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for a new day. Our hearts are filled with thanksgiving, God we can often take the days for granted and even complain. We can say things like the days drag on. But God, the truth is, this day is a gift from you. It's a day that should be joyful for everyone who knows Jesus Christ because we should remember the mercy that has come to us through his shed blood. And not only do we have the gift of your mercy, but we have the grace of meeting together just as this one local body 
And God, you've, you've encouraged us through this body. You've sustained us through this body. Father, we thank you for the gift of fellowship here. And we also thank you for your word. Because you did not hide from us. You did not hide who you are or your great salvation or how we can know you. But you've revealed it to us here in your scriptures. And so it's for us to look and to study and to sit under and to learn. And so God, we pray you'd open our hearts and our ears and that you'd feed us and nourish us for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Why is it that gaining a concept with clarity a long time ago is not sufficient? I bump into this often when I'm reading. It, it turns out that uh, there's a word. I know I learned the word at some point, but I can't remember what it means. And now I've got some, not just years behind me, not just years since I was in school, but, but it's actually decades. But why is it that I learned this? I, I had to answer it on a test, but I can't remember. Now, some things do seem to stick with us for life, but it seems that many other things get fuzzy with time. And that's certainly the case with my theological education. I grew up in an in a wonderful Christian home where my father wanted me to learn the Bible. Uh, he sent me to Christian school where I was taught there. I went to church all my life, uh, sat through Sunday school and the Sunday meeting, went to children's church, was in the youth group. From there I went to Bible college and got a four-year degree in Bible and in missions. From there I went to the Sovereign Grace Ministries Pastors College and since then, I've also had uh, some seminary classes and been in incredible amounts of conferences and seminars, <laughs> more than I like to recount. And yet, there are still many concepts that I can't keep clear in my mind that I have to go back to and study again. And you might be sitting there and thinking, well, you're just dumb. <laughs> I don't think I'm the only one that has this problem, admit it. Even some of you that are pretty sharp, you, have, you need repetition. And uh, one, on, certain things that I, on certain things, I actually remember having this conversation with myself. I'm, I'm sitting in class or I'm studying alone, and I'm so profoundly affected by what I just read. I think to myself, I will never forget this. This will affect me for the rest of my life. And I, and I might as well have, as I've done many other times, it might as well be one of those moments where, where I say to myself, okay, this, this little obscure thing, I'm going to put it here so that I never forget where I put it. And invariably, the next time I need it, in the next three months, I can't find it. And that's the same thing in my mind. It seems like there are some things I had clear, but they're no longer clear. And, and life seems to do that to us, to our brains, to our memories. I'll call it the, low, slow, the, the long, slow descent into fuzziness. It just affects us all, doesn't it? Yes, young men and women, that's what you can look forward to, the low, long, slow descent 
into fuzziness. But this isn't just a problem with our minds. It's a problem with our hearts as well. I see some truths and convictions that are biblically crystal clear that we teach, that we capture. And yet over the years, we let those convictions slip. We let those truths, or we don't let those truths work in us as they once did. And we can look at that truth and we can look at that conviction and we can, we can stare at it and we can say, I know it's supposed to affect me, but it doesn't affect me like it once did. See, that uh, slow, long descent into fuzziness is not just an issue of, of mind. It's a problem with our hearts as well. There's a biblical illustration to this reality. If you know the Old Testament, you know that, that God kept saving, in essence, his, his Old Covenant community, his, his Old Testament people, the Israelites. He kept saving them. He saved them and he would teach them about himself. He would show them his love. He would show them his greatness. And, and they, would, they would rally. They would enthusiastically serve. They would grasp who he is. They might set up monuments. They would write things down. They would set up feasts and, and traditions. And yet as time went on, that slow, long descent into fuzziness took over. And they began to forget the God who had saved them. And they loosed the grasp on what He had done for them. And they often slipped into idolatry. Now, I think this is important for us to apply to our own hearts and lives because, because sometimes we, we, we think that the moving off of certain convictions is seen as a pragmatic maturity. Oh, that, that doesn't bother me anymore. I don't, I don't worry about that anymore. And there's a place for that. There's a, there's a time for that. There's a time for the growth of conviction, the, the broadening out of conviction so that, so that our, our, our conscience actually grows to be more Christ-like. It understands Christ better and it, it, it approaches life in a way that glorifies Him more. There's a place for that. But let's recognize that Sometimes that loosening of conscience or that loosening of conviction is not actually maturity. It's actually a, an idolatry that draws us away, that doesn't look as closely as that, at that truth anymore because we don't want to be affected by it. We don't want it to, make, to lay claim on our lives. We don't want to give something up. There's something we want and we don't want to give it up. And so we say, oh, I don't worry about that anymore. But the truth is it's idolatrous. I, th I think of the Old Testament Israelites. I think of the high places. I think of how often you read in the Old Testament how, how you know, one king would rise up and he would be righteous and he would implement God's rule again. But then there would be this little caveat. But he did not remove all of the high places. And what that meant was the Israelites were supposed to worship at the temple but they would create these high places because they were, they were beautiful places and they felt closer to God and they had this subjective sense of, of, of the supernatural and the spiritual and so they would do things there and a lot of times idol worship was mixed in in those high places and so the king would come along and he would, he would set things pretty much right in Israel, in Jerusalem and he would set things back in place but he wouldn't go out there and he wouldn't remove the high places. 
And I think that can be kind of like the loosening or the letting go of conviction in our own lives. And that's why it's so critical for us to never stop learning. This is why we must never stop learning. Because that slow, long descent into fuzziness is a function of our mind. It's a part of our reality in this world. But it's also a function of our hearts that are inclined to be idolatrous, to let go of God, and to grab on to the things, the pleasures, the desires in this world. And so educating ourselves. I, I want to prevail on you. I want to exhort you that educating ourselves is a huge part of the Christian life. Now, please don't misunderstand. This is not a rebuke. You're here this morning, and in part you're here because you're saying, I need God's Word. I need to be taught it. I need to be taught it slowly. I need to be taught it repetitively over a long period of time, over the course of my life. That's part of what the church is. That's why pastors are called to teach, so we can have this. But even beyond the Sunday morning exhortation, we need to educate ourselves. It's a huge part of the Christian life precisely because of our inclination to idolatry and our willful ignorance that comes to us. And that means reading. Reading God's Word and reading teachers of God's Word. It means study. It means listening. It means thinking. And it means praying. And it means that all those things are real means of grace to keep us not only nodding our heads affirming truth, but actually cultivating love and being freshly amazed uh, for that truth and gaining ever stronger conviction for the truth. Now all that to say, what I'm really doing here this morning is introducing you to a new series. All that to say, that is why your pastors rewrote the Explore material. Now, Explore is the the course formerly known as the New Members Class, which was then also known as Exploring ECC, Exploring... Yeah, but wasn't it something before that, Ray? Wasn't it Exploring Covenant... Were we Lancaster Covenant Church? Exploring Covenant? No? It was just a new members class, then it became Exploring Crossway Church, and then it was exploring for a short period of time, and now it is Explore. And so <laughs> that's where we're going with this all-church care group name. We're going to get there. You'll see we'll change it a few times, and we'll rework it, and it'll be, it'll be amazing. It'll be cool. Now, the, the, the Explore course, which was formerly known as the New Members course, it's, it's, that, it's those classes that we teach to everyone who's checking out Crossway Church and, and who's thinking about becoming a member. The previous versions were good, and especially the last one. When I came, the previous version was very good. We borrowed heavily from it. But we needed, we needed, your pastoral team needed, and you need to. We needed to own it. We needed to look deeply again. We needed to deeply own it. We needed to go back to it again so that we're teaching knowledgeably and with conviction. We needed to say these truths are the truths that we believe. Not just handed on to us, but handed on to us and taken and imported into our own souls. And held to deeply and strongly and firmly so that we can then teach them 
with that kind of conviction. And maybe 10 years, maybe 10 years is a good rule of thumb. I don't quite know if it is. I mean, there's, there's no exact precise thing on this, but, but we do need to revisit these things and, and make sure that they're deeply embedded in our own souls. And what better way than to go start to finish? And so about four years ago, the pastoral team tasked the recently returned to us, Steve Heitland, recently returned from the pastor's college with the rewrite of the Explorer course. In fact, we actually sent him to the pastor's college knowing that we were going to task him. That was one of the things we needed him to do when he got back. And so we tasked him to do that. And the plan was to make this an immersive team project. So Steve would do the writing. All of us would read it. We would all discuss it. We would all edit it. We would all reread it. We would all discuss it again. We would all make further edits. And all the while, recommending resources and components for the notebook that would, we thought would be helpful. And so each of the pastors, we must have read, we, during that process, we must have read every one of those lessons four or five times each. Maybe more in certain, certain portions many times over. It was a two-year project. Um, and it was immersive. And it was, it was a wonderful project for the team. And I think we're, we're seeing some good fruit from it now. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that the Explore material is somehow perfect. It certainly does not replace the Word of God. It is only as good as it is faithful to the Word of God. What I'm really wanting to communicate is that this notebook represents the deep convictions of your pastoral teams. It's, it's what we believe the, the, the Scriptures teach us. And we wanted to own those convictions and not simply assume them. And we studied them and we applied ourselves to them. And that's how we got the Explore Notebook. And that's, how we're, that's why we're doing this series. And we're doing this series because we don't want you to miss out on this immersive project. We don't want you to miss out on being affected by these great truths about God about salvation, about the church. These are historically great truths. These, are, these represent in, in large part the way the history of the church has seen the Scriptures and, and held them out and delivered them in the world. And that's what we're trying to do. And we don't want these convictions uh, that you once held dear to slip. No, we want them to be strengthened. We want to look at them again. We want to revisit them. There may be some new thoughts for you in this material. It may be new. Hopefully it's deepening. But, but many, uh, there, there may be some new, but it probably won't be many. But even in those cases, you'll have the opportunity to weigh those new thoughts against Scripture. And most of the things in there, you're going you're gonna to know, you're going to have been taught from the very beginning. Uh, but we can grow together throughout this process and in the word and own the word of God together. You see, we're doing this so we can agree together. So go with me to 1 Corinthians real quick. We're gonna, we're gonna skip around through a few verses this morning. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We want to do this so that we can agree together. Corinth is a tough church. They have many issues. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, wants to address them. And he is going to pour out grace on, on, on them first. He's going, to, he's going to express confidence in the gospel work that's happening in them. But then, uh, shortly, right, shortly into the introduction, one of the things that 
Paul says by the Spirit, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And so here we see the apostle calling this church that was already being rift with divisions, he's calling them to agree together. Now the content of his message is what he wants them to agree on. But what's interesting now is if you go to 2 Corinthians, toward the end of the second letter that we have to Corinth, to the church in Corinth, so that's at the beginning of the first letter that we have, he's calling them to agree. Now go to the end of the second letter that we have. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and look at verse 11. And look what he says here at the end. So, so Paul's, all his writings are, he's calling them to the gospel. He's applying the gospel to them. He's addressing their divisions. He's addressing major issues in that church. He gets to the end of his writing to them. And look what he says to them again. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. And then he says this. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. He calls us to peace. He calls us to love. And, and in, that, in that context of peace and love, he's calling us to agreement. And so you and I have a responsibility to work toward agreement. Now, I want to make a point about this, or a couple of points about it. First of all, Paul does not shrink. Paul's calling them to agree. So what does he do? Well, what what do you think he's going to do? In the logic of this world, what does it mean to agree? Now, we just had a national election, and the president was re-elected The president represents what we consider a a more liberal platform of political and social concepts. And Mitt Romney would have represented a more conservative platform of political and social concepts. Okay. So the, the liberal platform won this election in embodied in President Obama. And let's pray for the president because we're called to pray for the president. So you hear now on the news, many Republicans and uh, liberal pontificators saying conservatives need to forsake their conservative values. Why? Because if they want to garner a larger popular vote, well, they they need to be broader. They need to be more open. That's how you get agreement, right? See, that's the logic that the world brings to the table. That agreement comes by never disagreeing. And that's not the way Paul's going to approach this. Anyone that's familiar with 1 Corinthians, anyone that's familiar with 2 Corinthians knows this. Paul has no problem strongly correcting and disagreeing and telling them where they need to change. And he's telling them this why. So that they can agree in Jesus Christ. You see, 
It's, it's, it's only in understanding that we can actually have agreement. Without understanding, we can't agree. And remaining unclear, remaining unclear on important truths is not the pathway to unity. Remaining unclear on important truths is the pathway to disunity and divisiveness. Because they're going to come out at some point. And do you know when they're going to come out? At the worst possible times. At the times it matters most. When you're hard-pressed, what you believe rises to the surface. And when you're hard-pressed, if what you believe rises to the surface, and if that's the time you look at the person next to you and say, I don't believe what you believe. We got a problem. And so what Paul is calling them to, and what the Scriptures call us to, is agreement on Jesus Christ and on the things that matter most. And not to remain unclear, but to pursue understanding so that we can have not a false agreement and a false unity, the appearance of unity, but so that we can have a true unity that is strong and holds us together. What did the, what did the forefathers of, of, the, uh, of the United States say? They said, if we don't hang together, we will definitely, we will certainly hang separately, right? Well, that's true. Listen, dear friend, if we're to be Christ's ambassadors in this world, and if we're to hold fast to him, and if we're to share him, we better believe that persecution is coming like a freight train. I don't know when and I don't know where. Maybe never in our lifetimes. We've had it good. But it is the law of this world to hate the people of God. And so when that freight train hits, what happens to Crossway Church? Let us agree. Now that's what we tell new folks coming in, that uh, we want you to know what we believe up front. And so we don't want there to be any surprises. And, and by the way, we show our notebook to other pastors. Like They, they said, you guys are crazy. <laughs> Look how comprehensive this thing is. I mean, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a a reference book. This is a, a medical journal. No, it's not. It's actually wonderfully easy reading, but it's a lot. And so, the, 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 you know, the, the, the idea today is, no, you, you know, this is too much of an obstacle. And we say, no, we, we want people to know what we believe coming in. We don't want them to find out two years down the road that, that we struggle with popular ideas of the therapeutic. Or that we're concerned with the, the typical evangelical approach to youth ministry. Or, or that, um, or, or, that um, or that we believe that election protects the grace of the gospel. And helps us understand how gracious it really is. We don't, we don't want people finding that out years down the road. We want them to know that up front. We want to explain it. We want to try to be biblical about it. And we want everyone that becomes a member here to, to know these things. And we know that not everyone will be a member here. We want everyone to become a member here. 
but we know that not everyone will. And we think that if we have clarity, that helps them in that moment as well. When we agree on priority items, we can have agreement and unity. Think about this. Even where we may have disagreement on secondary issues, we can have agreement. When we have disagreement on secondary issues, we can have agreement. Why? Because we're agreeing that that's a secondary issue. You see that? So even in disagreement, we can have unity because we agree on what matters most. And that is critical. So let us agree and let us have unity. Let's immerse ourselves in this material together and see how God strengthens us. Now, just a few notes. Today, no, today's uh, notes are going to be available in print at the Welcome Center. So uh, the, the session one will be available from, from the Explore Notebook is available at the Welcome Center. We're also going to email the entire uh, notebook, uh, or the notes anyway, to, um, to, to all the church members. And so you're going to get this in your email. It's a lot. It's a lot to print out. Maybe you want to print it out a week at a time. But we want you to have it because we think that not only is it a discipleship, uh, a useful discipleship tool, it's a, a great uh, reference. And if you're, if you're a guest here and you'd like the entire uh, a PDF emailed to you, just let us know. Sign up at the Welcome Center. You can go back there, sign up at the Welcome Center, and we'll get the whole thing out to you. So this is, this is quite different for us on a Sunday morning. Normally we're taking a passage of Scripture and expositing that, saying God put this here. He wants us to know it in this way, in this context. And so we're going we're gonna to go through that. But this morning we're going to go, we're going to start our series on Explore. And hopefully I've, I've encouraged you in why this is so critical and important. Uh, but this morning we're just going to go through two simple points. We're going to go through the uh, foreword of the Explore notebook and the table of contents and then we're going to go, number two, through the content, understanding the gospel, uh, the first session. So, let me actually read for you the foreword. And not to brag, but we think this is pretty good. So, let me read this for you. Welcome to Explore. We are grateful and honored that you have chosen to invest your time in learning more about God and His Word and about who we are as a church. Choosing a church family is one of the most important decisions one makes. We have devoted an entire appendix in this book to help you think through this process. We have structured this booklet to be as helpful to you as possible. We recognize that you may be coming to us from one of many different backgrounds, so we want to be as thorough and careful as possible in giving you an accurate picture of what we believe, how we practice, and who we are. The most important thing to know about us is that we are gospel-centered. That is, we see the person and work of Jesus Christ as the most important thing about us. That emphasis is reflected in our name, Crossway Church. This booklet is broken down into ten lessons, each of which covers an important area of our beliefs and practices. Some of this information may be a review for you, though there will probably be something new as well. Our prayer is that God's Word will have its effect in all of our hearts and minds as we study together and as we seek to better know and understand and thus to worship our Lord and Savior. May the gospel be sweeter to you because of our time together. 
We have chosen to include some technical theological terms in these lessons. This was not done in an attempt to impress you, but rather to equip you. The great truths of who God is and what He has done are not perfectly simple. They require deep and sustained thought, and God is worthy of our best efforts at knowing and loving Him. Though we have included these terms, we have also sought to provide clear and helpful definitions in the margins. We do not expect you to memorize the terms. We do hope that you will strive to understand the concepts. Our hope is that this booklet will serve you as a lifelong reference for your study of God and His Word. We have provided a second margin on every, a two-inch margin on every page for note-taking and a for further study reference tied to Wayne Grudem's Bible doctrine. We give this book to our new members when they join the church. We have also included other references that will be of benefit to you. If at any time during the course you have any questions or concerns, please do not hesitate to ask or to interact with the pastors after class. We are here to serve you, and we want to help you to understand the process through these important issues. Again, thank you for coming, for loving God's church, and for seeking to grow in understanding, applying, and glorying in His marvelous gospel because of the cross pastors of Crossway Church. Now, just a few highlights here, and thank you for letting me go through that with you. I think, uh, I think this exercise is going to be really beneficial over the long term. Let's try to keep that vision in view. So, just a few points coming out of the foreword. First of all, people are coming to us from different theological backgrounds, specifically uh, different Christian backgrounds, and, and we're still amazed. Think, just think about this, how what your reaction is when you find out that you've just talked to someone that has never heard the gospel. I'm talking about in Lancaster City or or a co-worker. You're talking to someone that has never heard the gospel and was not raised in church. We're still amazed at that. Think about that. Think about that reaction, that we're amazed at that. Why are we amazed at that? Because our common experience is that almost everyone has some experience with church. Now, in other places in the world, and even in this country, that is not the norm. And even more, just more and more people in this country and in this county have no experience with church and have never heard the gospel. And so there's going to be more opportunity to share the gospel directly to people that never never heard it. But still to this day, folks that come to us typically have some Christian teaching in their background. And and since that's true, we want to, you know, they're coming from a broad range of theological beliefs. And so we feel that it's important to say, look, here's where we're at. You may have been taught something all your life that's different than this. And hey, that's great, but we want to share with you what we believe and why we think it's biblical. We hope to be persuasive, but in the end, we want clarity and we want you to know this about us. Many times they're coming into that class and they they haven't already identified those things. And so we're actually helping them identify some core areas, some critical areas, where where they've been taught one way and to find out what they may experience here. And then hopefully we're equipping them to search God's Word and to see, okay, what do I believe about this? What do I believe God's Word teaches about this? And Lord willing, we're providing them with the clarity and serving them with the clarity to do that. 
And that's one of the reasons we went comprehensive, because we knew that that's, that's our experience. That's people coming to us. And so sometimes we hear pontification about how, it, how, how bad it is to swap sheep or how, how church hopping is bad and, or, 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 or those kinds of things, and how we're just changing out Christians from church to church. And I, you know what? There's a point to be made there. I don't, I don't dispute that. It is, it's, it's definitely bad to church hop, to go quickly from one church to another. We need to be thoughtful about that. But the truth is, is that God is working in our hearts. And much of the shifting that He does in our hearts can, in fact, be good. Now, how we handle that and our approach and our study of God's Word, that all needs to be taken into consideration. But my own story is that I, I came from a situation where they did not believe election. And specifically, they did not believe in election in regard to salvation. And so I grew up not believing that. And I grew up believing that not only was it wrong, but it was evil. And, and some of the people that taught me actually, actually uh, characterized John Calvin as a wicked person and as a tool of the devil. Which, if you know church history, that is outrageous. And yet, that was some of the some of the teaching that I heard. When I came to study the Scripture more and I saw election there, I began to realize this is all about grace. It's not about God being mean. It's about God being incredibly gracious and loving beyond what I ever understood. And so, grace began to explode in my heart and I began to see it all over the Bible, something I'd never seen before. And then I wanted to live in a community that not only agreed with that, but that, that exalted in it, that blessed God because of it, that enjoyed it and lived it out and applied it. And I, I, I can't imagine not having election protecting the grace of the gospel. I can't imagine that. And so, what we're doing here is we're saying, okay, yeah, we, no one should leave a church quickly. No one should go to another church quickly. No one should shift from church to church. All that's bad. But we recognize in the province of God, He's growing us. And one of the ways He does that is there can be a shift. And the truth of the matter is there's, there's lots of people in church right now, and there's probably some right here that have not yet trusted Jesus Christ. And so they need to hear gospel preaching. And so we believe that not only is this course informative and helpful for those who are trying to figure out what they believe the Bible teaches, but we believe that it's discipleship. Because we're teaching everyone who comes to us all that Jesus began to do and teach. Right? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And then Acts chapter 1, you're going to go into all the world. You're going to, you're going to make disciples. And, and part of that disciple-making is not just proclaiming salvation. It's also teaching all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so that's all part of Explore. And so we're trying to disciple the people that come to us. Now, the reason I, I read you that foreword in particular is so that you would notice what is identified 
as what is of highest importance to us. And this is where we need to agree primarily. That the most important thing to know about us is that we are gospel-centered. That is, we see the person and work of Jesus Christ as the most important thing about us. And that emphasis reflected in our name, Crossway Church. Yes, I know we use the word gospel. I know we lack the creativity to always keep it fresh. But I, I'd, I, I'd, I'd rather keep going with it and saying this is our emphasis. This is what our lives are about. This is what this church is about. And let us never forget and to say this is, this is who we are. It's all we have is the work of Jesus Christ. There are many sparkly things in the Christian world out there that can draw our attention and our eye. Be careful, dear friend, because this gospel is what matters most. And so we need to have a ministry that says it, that teaches it, and that lives it, and puts the emphasis there. Now, if you go to the table of contents uh, of our Explore course. You're going to see there sessions 3 through 10. And if we just walk through them, you see them there. Understanding the Bible, understanding God, understanding man, understanding Jesus Christ. Now, I'll just, just say, if you've ever seen a systematic theology, you're going to recognize this, this outline. It's, it's very similar. Well, well, why? Well, basically, a systematic theology you know, often starts with the Bible because it's our rule for faith and practice, what we're saying is that this came from God and we believe that, and therefore it informs the rest. It tells us who God is. And so we, we go from the Bible, which begins with God, so then we, go, we begin with God. And then we go from there to talking about man, the pinnacle of God's creation. And so we talk about you know, who, that, who man is. And in talking about man, we talk about the fall. We talk about how sin entered the world. And we talk about our status before God. And then we go on to basically back to God, but in particular, God the Son. And we talk about Jesus and what he's done for us and salvation. And we go on to talk about the third person of the, of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, and what he does. And then on to the church and on to fellowship. And then finally, mission. And so there's basically a systematic theology. But one place where we put it out of order, in particular, is in the first two sessions. It's the first two sessions because this is a church. And what we want you to hear from us first to last, even if you get sick of it, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel comes first and it gets two sessions. And the first one, the goal is a clear statement. And in the second session, it's our proper response to the gospel. Well, why do we do that? Once again, to make it clear, you know, we have it in our foreword, we have it in our table of contents, and, and we have it throughout the Explore course. We have it in our lobby. You see that cross up there. We have it in our bulletin. We have it in our ministries. We have it in our worship. Oh, what happened to my bulletin? What did I do with that? What? Thank you. Thank you. Take your bulletin which I love, and I do love it. And look at, the, uh, look at the welcome there on the inside. Look what it says. 
Welcome guests. On behalf of our members, thank you for coming. We are honored to have you with us today. Second paragraph. You may be wondering what Crossway is all about. We are people of the cross. We know that that may sound a bit strange. What we mean is this. The most important thing to identify about us is that we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Oh, let us proclaim it in every way. And so, yes, we're saying in every way, at all times, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and His salvation, Jesus Christ and what He's done, Jesus Christ and how He's brought us to God. And and that's the point. That's why Explore is this way, and that's why everything else we're trying to do is this way. The gospel gets the first priority, and it gets the first two sessions. And the scripture that we often turn to, it it doesn't have to be the only one, but the one we turn to, and the one that that you should know, you should have it quickly, you should keep it in mind, is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Now I remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He's reminding them. They have problems. What does Paul do? He reminds them of the gospel. They need to be saved. What does Paul do? He tells them about the gospel. They have trouble in their Christian life. What does Paul do? He reminds them of the gospel. They're on the verge of persecution or death. What does Paul do? He tells them about the gospel. And so we want to live and pursue and apply the gospel at every facet of life. Well, Let's dive into the second point just quickly, understanding the gospel, some of the contents, just some of the content of that first session. And there's a lot of great content there. So get it, read it, you'll, you'll be enriched, you'll be edified. I can't possibly get to it all this morning in, in an hour or less. But let's just talk a little bit about it. Uh, the goal of session one is to have a clear understanding, a statement of the gospel. And in, in his book, God is the Gospel, John Piper provides us with a helpful illustration. He tells us that the gospel is good news which must be proclaimed. It must be proclaimed the way an old-fashioned town crier would do. You see, the gospel, the gospel is, uh, is good news. It's what it means. No matter what word Jesus may have used in Aramaic, when it was written down, it was written in Greek, and the word that was used means good news. And so it's a proclamation. It's not a, it's not a self-help program. It's not a, a, a process per se. There is process in the Christian life, but, but that's not the gospel per se. And so, and so John uh, Piper captures it. He says, it should be proclaimed by us. And, and I think this is the way it ought to reside in our hearts. Listen to this proclamation he writes up for us, sort of an old-fashioned town crier. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, all rebels, insurgents, dissidents, and protesters against the king. Hear the royal decree. A great day of reckoning is coming, a day of justice and vengeance. But now hear this, all inhabitants of the king's realm. Amnesty is herewith published by the mercy of your sovereign. 
A price has been paid. All debts may be forgiven. All rebellion absolved. All dishonor pardoned. None is excluded from this offer. Lay down the weapons of rebellion. Kneel in submission. Receive the royal amnesty as a gift of imperial love. Swear fealty to your sovereign and rise a free and happy subject of your king. You see that, 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 uh, sort of older, the, kind of, the idea that sort of emerges from older English sort of captures for us that proclamation. You can kind of, you can kind of get the sense of a town crier going to the, to the town square. In fact, I think Kurt likes this so much, he's going to have the whole church memorize this proclamation. And the next time we do a Ghost Saturday, everyone's going to go out in the city of Lancaster and proclaim it just like that. Well, we, we need a clear and simple statement, you know, and, and so often we teach our sins, oh, we teach our that's kind of funny. We teach our children. I just called, we teach our sins. I just called our children our sins. They're revealing our sins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The children are our sins. They're, they're gifts. They're grace. But often we teach our children a, a simple and clear statement. And, and it comes from this 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 3. Christ died for our sins. Five simple words. Christ died for our sins. What is the gospel? What is the gospel, my, my four-year-old? Jesus died for our sins. Yes, good, good. You're going to spend a lifetime learning what that means. Growing in your faith in Jesus for dying for your sins. But it's good to have that, right? Christ died for our sins. Now, of course, John 3.16 is a great statement of the gospel. It's very helpful. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's a great, clear gospel statement. Another clear and simple way to understand the gospel is, 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 is these five points. It's, the gospel is the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. That's a little more comprehensive, and obviously every one of those can be delved into comprehensively, but simply five, again, five points, five words or five points, birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. But a statement gains more conviction when there is a depth of understanding and belief behind it. You see, that word gospel, as I said, it means good news. And so it's that proclamation that we talked about. So think about this. It's not a 12-step program. It's not a self-help book. See, that's not the right way to think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is important for us. Even as we've been a Christian for many years, it's good for us to remember. Now, you may remember several years ago, we, we rolled out the three trees. It's a really helpful little uh, diagram. All the women hated it. And we tried to diagnose our hearts there's something about that, uh, that, that, I don't know what it is, but that uh, graphic thing that the women didn't like it, mostly didn't like it. But it's helpful. It can be helpful. It can help you kind of break down things. But I think what's important is that we don't do that overly introspective thing too much, that we're not overly introspective. Why? Because the gospel is not self-help. You see, we don't say to ourselves, man, I'm really messed up. Something's wrong between me and God. Let me go to the self-help section at the bookstore and browse there and figure it out. We don't, we don't say, man, I'm really messed up with God. What's the, what are the 12 steps I need to take? By the way, I don't mean to just bash 12 steps programs. They, they can be useful. But, I, but that's not the way we approach God. 
We don't say, okay, let's see, uh, the way I get to God is I first, I first take this step. I acknowledge these things, then I take this step. And then, and then when I get to 12, I'm there. That, that's, not, that's not it. The gospel is talking about an objective event that has already taken place. It's done. It's not about what you do. It is done. So the question is, will you believe it or not? God has done, he has wrought this great salvation. Will you believe it? Will you believe it? Well, there's tremendous content in the gospel. You can continue to go incredibly deep with it. Uh, for, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all of that. But let me get to redemption, the redemption aspect of the gospel. And if you, if you look back to Genesis chapter 6, go with me to Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to go down to verse um, 5 through 8, we, we see this remarkable evaluation, this assessment of the status of humanity. And it's not, it's not sort of one opinion against another. This is God's assessment of humanity. And this is what he says. This is very close to the beginning of humanity. Look what God says. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Let's just stop there for a moment. Now, now, look at this here. We see the nature and character of God. We see, we see God. He made humanity and humanity should have recognized that. Humanity should have been grateful. In other words, humanity should have been oriented to God, but humanity, instead of being oriented to God, is oriented away from God to the point where the Scriptures are saying every thought of his heart was only evil continually. Another translation says uh, every, every thought was only evil all the time. Or every inclination was only evil all the time. Wow. That's a, that's, a, that's a damning assessment of the heart of man. And you know what this does to God? It grieves him. He's sorrowful. Hundreds, if not thousands of years of human history had already passed by this point. And so God knew his creation in their fallen state. And they were rebellious against him. And he regretted making them. Now God is compassionate, but he's also just. And so you know what he's going to do? He's going to pour out wrath. Do you ever wonder to yourself what the wrath of God will look like? Do you ever say to yourself, man, the final day it seems so out there. It seems, it seems so like, you know, 
just an idea, just a concept. You know, it just seems so, you know, I can't, I can't really understand what's going to look. Here's what it looks like. It looks like a flood that chases down every single person and kills everyone. God's wrath, in whatever form it will come, will come as a flood. And just recently we had uh, the storm Sandy come through. I believe it was a man in Atlantic City. He was an older man. He thought this was all being blown out of proportion. And so he remained in his house. He thought he'd be fine there. He'd be holed up, maybe he'd lose his power, have a little flooding, no big deal. Well, a five-foot wall of water came crashing on his house. Can you imagine a five-foot wall of water? And, and he died. That's like the wrath of God. It comes as an irresistible wave. And you cannot run from it. And this is the state of man in sin. This is the state of all of humanity. So Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no getting away from it. We're all deserving of that wrath. But then God in His great mercy does a great exchange. He redeems us. So I do want to draw your attention back to Genesis chapter 6 again. And look at verse 8. So God is grieved, but God is just. But what else is God? Look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And you just get from that, you get that, there's the hope. There it is. See, there's the character and nature of God. He's, he's just. He's going to pour out wrath. He's going to pour out wrath because he's righteous and he has to. But he's also loving. And so you know what? He's going to make a way. And when it says that Noah found favor, it doesn't mean that Noah was perfect. Noah was not perfect. The first thing Noah does after getting out from the ark, or one of the first things he does, is sin and drunkenness. But God loves him and decides to save him. And so he teaches him how to build an ark. And he puts his family in there. And the flood comes. And everyone's killed. But Noah is saved. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. We're in the ark. We're in Jesus Christ. And when God's judgment is poured out, we'll be saved. Now, redemption can be described in certain ways as a great exchange, a great exchange. The curse comes in when man sins. Sin affects all of us now. The entire Old Testament demonstrates this. But God does a great exchange. And what I mean by that is here are sinners who have nothing but sin to offer God and deserve nothing but judgment. Here is God who is perfectly holy and can't, he, he can't have sin in his presence because of his great holiness. He doesn't owe anything to this rebellious creature who has rejected him. That's what sin does. That's what sin is. He doesn't have to. He shouldn't. There's no reason why he should love his creation. And what he should do is just destroy. But he's perfect. And so what God does is he says, okay, let's make an exchange. I will take your sin and charge it to my account. And I'll pay for it. 
and you take my righteousness, not that you are that righteous, but you take it, it's a righteousness beyond you, and I will credit it to you, and I will count you as having my righteousness. That's not fair, is it? But that's what God does. And the way he does it is he sends his own son because he loves us. And that whoever trusts Jesus has his sins credited to Jesus' account, and that's why Jesus was executed. He paid for our sin. The wrath of God came on him instead of us. And then we have his righteousness credited to us. It's the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you can jot that down for later reference or just uh, look at the notes later to see 2 Corinthians 5.21 to see that, that excellent scripture that helps us with that. Now, I just want to make this point and then I'm going to close. Therefore, do not try to cling to your own righteousness. Isaiah 64.6, jot this down, I don't think it's in the notes. Isaiah 64.6 teaches us that all of our righteous works, even the, the things that we think we do well, they are like filthy rags. Because our righteousness is just not, it's not in the same game as God's righteousness. So even our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment and need to be, need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So therefore, do not try to cling to your own righteousness in this. Dear friend, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ, He is the only way to be made right with God. He's the only way to have your sins paid for or redeemed. He's the only way you can stand in God's presence on the last day. Well, let me conclude. And so the gospel is absolutely the most important thing about us. And it must remain this way. It is our all. It is our all. And it must remain what marks us. See, the gospel is not just a buzzword. It's not just something we say over and over again. It's something that must be, that must be growing in its significance in our hearts and lives. It's something that, that yes, it has tremendous meaning, and we need, to, we need to savor that meaning, and we need to, to seek to apply that meaning. I believe Ray coined this phrase for us, for our guest. Ray Randolph uh, was our senior pastor. He's a, a member of our church that, that contributes so much, and he's done so much to to help us succeed in the gospel. I believe he's the one that coined this phrase, gospel-centered everything. Gospel-centered everything. I love that phrase. It's, it's a great way. You know, and I don't, think we, I don't think we ought to just throw it out there. I think we ought to say what we mean by it. It means when we preach God's word, we're, we're trying to highlight the work of Christ and exalt him because it's there. That's what the whole Bible's about. It means that we sing songs of worship to God. It's, it's not just about what we're going to do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And so we sing those songs and reminding ourselves and refreshing ourselves and proclaiming the truth to one another through song. Remember what Jesus has done for us. And so you might even notice a lot of our songs kind of go along this flow. It's the verse talks about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And, and many times then our, our response is in the chorus. It's just a glorious thing. And, and Doug and the others, so, they so skillfully lead us in that. 
When it comes to our parenting, we don't want it to simply be about behavior modification. We want to understand what that means to just press for behavior modification or, or just so that the parents are, are, are the, the life is made more convenient for them. No, we want to take the opportunities that occur in our children's lives and see those as gospel opportunities. Here's my chance to ask forgiveness for my own sin, to teach them that they need to be forgiven for them, their sin, to remind them of what God has done for them, to help them relate to one another out of that. And when it comes to things like counseling or, or uh, things like our parent youth ministry or things like what we do with the children or, or, or all that we do, we want to be gospel-centered. It's not just about our ministries. It's about our relationships with one another. You see, Jesus is on display in each and every one of our relationships, and we have to be mindful of that, especially marriage, but really all of these relationships. And so what does that say about the relationships we have? Remember the great exchange. Remember what's been done for you. Remember how how God took on our sin. How Jesus took on our sin and counted his own righteousness to us. Remember that, and let us relate to one another out of that. And, and do apply this more and more to sanctification. What I mean by sanctification is that process through life where we, where we actually grow a little more righteous, nothing like the righteousness of God, but we grow a little more righteous. We, we set aside sin. We, we, we learn what sin is. We see it in our lives, and by the grace of God, we, we set it aside. We progressively grow in Christ. But, dear friend, that, that progress is never about doing more. It's about trusting more. It's about trusting more. And then the works will flow out of our trust. How do you teach the gospel to one another? How do you teach sanctification to your own heart, to your friend, to your spouse, to your child? In your care group, how do you talk about sanctification? See, remember what the Scripture says. It says, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And so we proclaim Jesus Christ. And when we do it, do you know what we're assured of? That your faith in Jesus will rise. And as it rises, you live for Him and you glorify Him. Now, this may seem obvious, but still I ask in closing, are you, dear friend, living the gospel? Are you really living the gospel? Are you gaining clarity on it? And does it change the way you view everything in life? And let it change the way you view everything in life. Nothing is too small for the gospel, and certainly nothing is too big for it. So earlier that word came. I think some of us feel like our, our failures are too big for the gospel. How silly is that? As if God didn't know who we really are before we know who we really are. And when he took our sin, did he not know? Oh, he knows far better than you and I ever know. And so there's no There's nothing in our lives too big for the gospel. And there's nothing too small in our lives for the gospel to be applied to, rightly applied. And so we seek to understand and we seek 
to apply. Now, if you're struggling, if you're not living the gospel, if you know you're not living the gospel, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, I'm going to give the benediction, I'm going to wrap this up, but then I want you to come and meet me and, and the other pastors up here. We want to pray for you. We want, we want you to know the grace of God more. We, we want you to know the forgiveness of God tangibly that comes through Jesus Christ. We want you to trust him and know him and know forgiveness and mercy. Have faith in him. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, please move on hearts. By your Holy Spirit, pour out your spirit and work in us. Move us close to Jesus Christ. Cause our eyes to always look in hope to him. Let us see every difficulty, no matter small or large, as the gospel opportunity that it is, as the chance to see the grace that has been procured for us and given to us, as a chance to know that grace and to live that grace, whether it's, whether it's we get angry too quickly and we bicker and fight or we're tempted to gossip or, or that we're failing morally whether it's that we have no joy, whether it's that we feel that we have no faith, whether it's a relationship that we struggle with, whether it's that we have no hope in life, whatever it may be, oh God, let us see it as the gospel opportunity that it is that you have laid in front of us so that we can specifically know you, your son, and your grace more. that we may know joy in you and live for you always. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm simply going to give the benediction, and if anyone would like prayer, come and meet us up here. Don't hesitate. Come on up and receive prayer. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.